and welcome to episode 22 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to read through the rulebook to that awesome new game everyone is raving about. This week, we're talking about rules. First, we discuss some games we've played recently, like The Pursuit of Happiness, Cottage Garden, and Starving Artists. We have a discussion about rules in games, rule books, rules mistakes, and a whole bunch of other things related to rules. And finally, we dive into the etymology of the word cheat. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Oh my gosh, guys. So I know technically we're recording this, you know, in the past, but today, as in the day this episode releases, we are all in Las Vegas for MeepleCon! Yay! Yay! The con starts tomorrow, Friday, and... Everybody should send me, Crystal, nice messages on Twitter because I'm probably stressing out about it <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> yeah, super excited to meet in person. Yeah, this will be the first time that the three of us have ever been together. And that is super exciting. And we're working Woo! on a really cool, super secret project during MeepleCon that we're not telling everybody about yet, but it's going to be the best <laughs> thing ever. Yep. <laughs> So uh, expect to see some cool stuff from us this weekend on social media, assuming you are listening to this episode about when it releases. And if you happen to be in Las Vegas at MeepleCon, which could be, who knows, a couple of you at least, uh, make sure to stop by and say hi. We might even have, this is not a guarantee yet because me, Crystal, has not quite gotten on the ball, but we might have badge ribbons for fans of the podcast. So if you're there, make sure you come find us and get one of those. I promise we're going to get to the main part of the episode in just a sec, but we have something really special to tell you first. In an effort to help our podcast grow and assist us in creating more and better content, we just launched our Patreon page. You will Always be able to listen to our podcast free of charge, but we wanted to give our listeners a way to support us directly if that happens to be something that interests you. To become a patron, just go to patreon.com slash boardgameblitz and pledge at whatever level you'd like. We have pledge levels starting as low as $1 per month, and we're offering some pretty cool perks to our patrons. If you choose to support us financially, we think that's amazing. But please know that even listening and sharing our content with your friends means the world to us. So thank you so much for continuing to support our show in any way you can. I got to play a lot of games at BlitzCon recently, but one of them that I I really liked was The Pursuit of Happiness, which is a 2015 game published by Stronghold Games. It's actually originally published by Artipia Games, but brought to America by Stronghold Games. And Crystal actually brought it and showed it to me. Woohoo! I, <laughs> I think Crystal's <laughs> mentioned it on the podcast before, but it's a really thematic action selection game where you're... It's basically like the game of life, but more of a game. <laughs> <laughs> like you actually get to decide things. Yeah, but the theme is really like the game of life. Like you're, you're a person, you're getting different jobs and different relationships and you get like different points based on what type of or like what what level of job you can get and you have to spend different resources like knowledge creativity and something else in order to get your different jobs and I I was actually trying to go for this life goal of being a hoarder 
which means you get a bunch of <laughs> items. So I bought a bunch of items. <laughs> and I, I had one of the items was like a board game collection. So I had a board game collection, a video game collection, uh, a bunch of game I- related items. And I thought that was really fun. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, basically the gameplay is you you have these worker pawns and you can do so many hours of work a day. I think each pawn is like an hour. And then you you have to go to different locations in order to do the things. But if you do the same thing twice, like if you try to get two items, then it costs you stress. So you have to like balance out what you're doing. And you don't want to get too stressed because basically the game ends by everyone dying and you die if you have a lot of stress which I also think is kind of thematic because stress kind of you can get permanent stress added on which makes you less healthy and then uh, the rounds go on and you get into old age and when you get into the super old age you just everyone just gets a bunch of stress and dies automatically so yeah the 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 timing for the game like everyone does die at the end of the game like that's how the game ends and once you hit the later rounds the stress that gets added automatically usually will cause everyone to die like within the course Mm -hmm. of one or two rounds yeah when we played we all died in the same round oh my gosh (laughs) it's pretty common for that to happen because it's difficult to reduce your permanent stress level within the game Mm -hmm. so um but yeah, like as like Amby said, it's super thematic, like way more so than you kind of expect going in, especially because yeah. while it's a cool, colorful board, like there aren't there isn't like a ton of like art or anything on the board itself. But the, the mechanics are tied in in a way that really makes them feel what you're doing makes sense. Yeah. In each card you get also kind of makes sense, like the board in collection uh, gave you creativity and like happiness or something, which which kind of makes sense, I think. Yeah, that actually sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> I've had my eye on it for a while. I just haven't been able to get a game. <laughs> yeah, and that was Pursuit of Happiness. I know it's been mentioned in a previous episode that I've been wanting to get my hands um, on Cottage Garden. Mm-hmm. While I don't yet own the game because it hasn't been released in the U.S., I did finally get a chance to play it. And I've always had a deep deep love for patchwork so cottage garden kind of took that to a new level for me so cottage garden released in 2016 originally by spielweiss and it's coming to the states from stronghold sometime this year i want to say this summer um was the latest rumor i've heard and it was designed by Uwe rosenberg of agricola and caverna fame <laughs> and uh, i've i'm starting to learn i think that he may be my favorite designer now I've kind of like switched roles, I think, in in uh, my game playing, I don't know, repartee or something. Anyway, so Cottage Garden, if you're familiar with Patchwork, is a similar gameplay. You're competing against other gardeners to create the best garden you possibly can. Your garden will have two plots, uh, which will start with some orange and blue pots, which are your points at the end of the game. And you'll have several open spaces on the board to lay your Tetris-like tiles on. I say Tetris-like because they're all uniquely shaped and can fit in some really interesting spaces on your board. Each person is going to take turns choosing a tile from the nursery based on where the gardener is 
is where you'll be able to select from. So the gardener like moves around and you get to choose which tiles to select from the path that he's in, I guess. You can place your tile anywhere on your board as long as it doesn't go off the edge of the board or over another tile and, you know, other common sense things like that. You gain points at the end for all of the visible pots you have. So orange pots are one point and blue pots are two points. And the reason I say visible is because the boards will start with pots on them and they can be covered by tiles. So if you cover a pot, you would lose that victory, that point at the end of the game. So once you've completed one of the plots you have in your garden, you're going to score the points on it. And there's two tracks. You have an orange track for your orange pots and a blue track for your blue pots. And um, you're going to score those on your on your personal scoreboard. Each person has their own personal scoreboard up to 20 points. And the reason it stops at 20 points is because when you complete your next plot, you can actually use different markers to go up that path. So you, you, you can get to 20 and then start a new one and go up to 20 on another one or get up to 15 on one and go up to 10 on another. So you, you're not using just one victory point marker. You have six total, three orange and three blue. It's a really neat way to score, I think. <laughs> it was really interesting. So the game ends during the sixth round. And I say during the sixth round because um, you want to finish as soon as you can in that round. Each turn you have to take in the sixth round, you're going to lose two of your victory points. So you want to end as quickly as you possibly can. By ending, I mean you want to complete your garden as quickly as you possibly can. The only other thing is you'll always have two garden plots. So once you complete one, you get a new one. And at the beginning of the sixth round, if one of your plots has two or fewer tiles on it, it just goes away. You don't get negative points for it. And then you only have to work on completing one of your garden plots. And that's Cottage Garden. Again, it should be releasing sometime this year in the U.S. Uh, released 2016, I believe, during Essen um, by Spielwise. How many players have you played with? Uh, I played with four. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, I played with four and I thought the downtime was... It was a little, it was a little high. Um, I think it all depends on, on the people you're playing with and how, and how, if they actually look in advance to see what Mm -hmm. they're going to have available to to choose from. But yeah, I can see some serious downtime in that game. Uh, I think with two players, just like patchwork, it would be pretty, pretty quick. I'm kind of interested in trying the solo game actually. (laughs) Oh, I didn't know there was a solo. (laughs) Yeah, I can, it's one to four. So there's definitely a solo, solo option for it. Cool. Yeah, so I'll be buying that <laughs> as, as soon as I can. <laughs> Anyone who follows uh, me specifically on Twitter or Facebook or has been seeing my screenshots of my recently played games will know that I've been playing a lot of Starving Artists, which is a game that just released in 2017. It was originally on Kickstarter in 2016, and it is from Fairway 3 Games. And in Starving Artists, everyone is a starving artist working to complete paintings to keep themselves fed and to earn victory points to try and win the game. Uh, Every round, everyone's nutrition level drops and the highest it can ever go is five. So you kind of always feel that pressure of, oh my gosh, I'm about to starve throughout the (laughs) entire game, which is interesting. Uh, Players get to purchase paintings from the market and then uh, acquire paint cubes via working 
and then they paint those cubes onto the paintings in front of them. And once they complete paintings, they get to up their nutrition level and get more paint. So it's kind of a nice little engine. You complete a painting to get more paint, to complete another painting to get more paint, etc., etc. And depending on the number of players, uh, players can win by either completing a certain number of paintings or by a, getting a certain number of victory points. And different paintings have different levels of victory points that you can earn, some of them as little as zero, and some of them as much as, I want to say three might be the most that you can get, but I haven't, I don't know if there's any higher than that. I was immediately enamored with this game when I saw it on Kickstarter last year, and I didn't back many games on Kickstarter last year. In fact, I think the only other games I backed were expansions to existing games that I already owned. I think this might have been the only brand new game I backed in all of 2016, and I am very happy that I did, because it is beautiful. All of the art in the game is actual, like, famous works of art, or art that was submitted by people during the Kickstarter campaign. Uh, so a lot of it is stuff that people would be familiar with, but then there's also some really cool stuff that you might not be familiar with, like comic book covers and other things like that. And there are a ton of cards in the game. So every single time I've played, which has now been a lot, <laughs> I've seen a whole bunch of different stuff. And my favorite painting in the whole wide world, which is The Kiss by Gustav Klimt, is in the game. So that makes me super happy. And it makes it hard not to buy it when it comes up in the market because I love that painting so much. But... It is a lot of fun. I think it's, I don't know if it's hit Amazon yet, but uh, Kickstarter backers all got their copies about a month, month and a half ago. And I believe it might be retail released at this point. So if, uh, and I think if you've ever played the older game Pastiche, it kind of has a similar feeling to that. Except in Pastiche, you were combining paints to make other paints. And this doesn't have a mechanic like that. But um, if you like art or creating artwork as a theme, this is definitely one that you need to look up. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. In fact, this game has potentially inspired me to make my very first either rules video or review video for our YouTube channel. I haven't done that yet. Yay. And I know. <laughs> like, I like this game so much that I want to make more stuff about it because it's just wonderful. So that is Starving Artists. Yeah, I thought that was really fun. Uh, we played it at BlitzCon, and the theme shone through really well, too. Like, you felt like you were starving all the time, and you had to like, keep painting in order to get enough food to survive. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So kind of inspired by a poll that uh, we put up on Twitter not too long ago, we wanted to talk this week about rules and all things related to rules and rule books and what happens when you mess up the rules and everything else because uh, obviously the board games we play have structure only because they have rule sets and I think we've found at least well me personally that it's kind of easy to get them wrong sometimes <laughs> So um, for those of you who do not follow us on Twitter, uh, we posted a poll that said, if you had to guess what percentage of all board games that you've played, have you at one time played with at least one unintentional rule mistake? And we had 104 people answer that poll. So obviously this is still a small sample size relative to, you know, the world at large. But we had... 42%, almost half of all respondents say that they believe that they've messed up 
unint- or they've done unintentional role mistakes between 51 and 75% of the time, and an additional 24% said between 76 and 100% of the time. So, like, almost three quarters of the people who responded to our poll believe that more than half of the games they've ever played, they've played with at least one unintentional rule mistake. And I think that's probably a fairly good representation of people in general. Rule books are kind of hard to suss out sometimes. A lot of the games I play, I think we mess up a couple of rules at the beginning, the first time we play, and then we go back, look up FAQs, reread the rule book or something, and then like, oh, that's what we messed up. So it's easier to tell what you've messed up and to learn the rules after you've played it, I think. But one game that we played the wrong rule for a long time that shouldn't be hard to learn is No Thanks, which is a really quick card game. And you're basically either taking a card or saying no thanks and putting a coat token on it, and you don't want the you don't want a high score and each card gives you a point or something or the point of the cards. But basically when you take the card the same person who took the card is supposed to turn over the next card, but we were playing like the next person goes. And we actually didn't figure this out until we heard on the dice tower that Tom had been playing the same rule wrong the same way, and Eric was like making fun of him for it. (laughs) And then so I I heard that, I'm like, oh, what? (laughs) We've been playing that wrong too. So yeah, even simple games, it's, you can get rules wrong. I honestly think it's easier to misinterpret rules in in what appears to be a simpler game because you're not looking as deep into the rules as you would for something that you know is going to be going to be deep yeah and I guess you won't be rereading the rule book after the first play because you assume that was it right that's that's definitely a problem I have because my favorite way to learn a game is to have somebody else teach it to Mm -hmm. me rather than reading the rule book so I have run into the problem in the past where I'll be introduced to a game by someone else. I'll like it and either purchase it or play it again later, and then I'll begin teaching it. But I've found that I've taught games without ever having read the rule book before <laughs> myself, technically. Wow. Like, obviously, like, I'll glance at it and I'll use it as a reference, but usually once I've been taught a game, I think I somehow feel like I'm all of a sudden a magical expert on it, which is not the case. <laughs> and I learned this very clearly recently. And the reason I put up the Twitter poll on our uh, Twitter account was because at BlitzCon, I played three, at least three games with the wrong rules. And admittedly, um, and so Order of the Gilded Compass, which I think I've talked about before on the show, but I know I've mentioned at least, uh, we were playing with a rule wrong that was pretty, that changed things pretty significantly. Starving artists, we were kind of playing wrong because we were doing, instead of doing uh, one action in the morning and one action in the afternoon, we were doing all of our actions all at once. But luckily, the designer is super friendly and wonderful on Twitter and helped me figure out what I was doing wrong. And then we played an epic game of Battlestar Galactica, which admittedly, we used all three expansions for that. So Mm. this was definitely not a case of simplicity getting in the way. We had a ton of stuff going on and we missed one rule throughout the entire game that was pretty it was a pretty big hindrance to the Cylons sorry Ambie (laughs) (laughs) and 
then toward the end of the game, one of the players made a mistake. They forgot uh, something that they weren't allowed to do and they did it anyway. Not maliciously, but just, you know, we all kind of forget that stuff sometimes. And uh, that kind of threw things into chaos because we had already taken a couple more turns past theirs and it was too difficult to rewind back to the spot where we were at. But luckily the game as a whole was so epic and amazing that like <laughs> even the mistakes didn't really ruin the experience for us. Yeah. Oh, I have a fun uh, Netrunner story about rules. I had picked up Netrunner to play with the boyfriend and I was sitting down and reading the rules and watching how to play videos and doing all this stuff because I have to be able to teach him the game because otherwise it's just not going to get played. So after I did all that, I actually played with a friend of mine who has played the game a handful of times, knew the rules better than I did and everything like that. And we're playing, we're playing, we're playing. And we get halfway through the game and I'm like, shouldn't it be like this instead of like that? And he's like, no, 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 it's totally like this. So then like two days later, he reread the rules and he's like, yeah, you should have won that game. I was like, oh. dang it. Wow. <laughs> Needless to say, my boyfriend and I have still not played Netrunner. <laughs> and that was two years ago, maybe. Oh. We should put up a countdown. Netrunner Watch 2017. Um, it's... It's getting traded away, so it doesn't it doesn't even matter at this point. Womp womp. <laughs> Sorry, Netrunner. Kingdom Builder is one of the more simple games that I love. It's in my top ten games of all time currently still. And the a lot of the first times I played that game, we played with a, a scoring rule wrong. I don't know how it's it's what's baffling to me is how you mess up some rules. Like, um, so in Kingdom Builder, when you place settlements next to castles, for each castle you have settlements next to, you get three points at the end of the game. But somehow when we played it originally, which again, now this one was me learn. I think that I used the rule book originally. So this is all me. Nobody else caused this one. We were playing with each settlement next to a castle got you three points. So toward the beginning of games in our early playthroughs, people were like clamoring to put as many settlements around each castle as they could. Now, so admittedly, it was a fair scoring thing. So everybody had the same opportunities technically, but it was, it made a big difference points wise. So I don't know. I, I don't understand sometimes how I mess up stuff like that but it it's kind of sh uh, shaken me to the core as a gamer that i'm 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 <laughs> hello my name is crystal and i'm bad at interpreting rule books <laughs> sometimes it's not entirely your fault because the rule book could be bad for example pret-a-porte is a game by portal games and when i first played that i tweeted out that i was playing it to ignasi and then he replied saying i hope you're not learning from the rule book because the rule book is so terrible <laughs> oh my goodness so, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. There are some poorly written rule books and even not necessarily poorly written, but poorly structured or hard to reference. Mm -hmm. So even if you even if all the rules are technically there, if they aren't laid out in a in the right order or in an easy to reference fashion, I think that can make for more rules mistakes to be possible. Yeah, and when it comes to like board layouts when things have to be laid out a certain way if you don't have a picture of how it should be laid out then you've done something seriously wrong <laughs> illustrations so I have to read yeah. written rules to, yeah, to lay out a board uh, and also i like when rule books include like an example turn with illustrations mm -hmm. like here's what 
you know, Sally did, and there's what Tommy did, and this is what happens, and this is what it looks like when they do those things. And obviously, sometimes space is a consideration, and there isn't enough room for that. But board game publishers, if you do not have <laughs> a dedicated copy editor on staff who who do is <laughs> who is not just good at copy editing, but is also good at playing board games and understanding them, you need to get on that. I've actually considered like messaging publishers since I was an English major and I'm a writer and editor by trade. I've thought about like looking into seeing if people <laughs> needed uh, rules book editors, even though that's something I've never technically done. But and now that I've proclaimed myself to be bad at rule books, I've probably <laughs> all of my chances. But I think that actually maybe would be in my favor because like, I don't know if the reason I'm bad at rule books is because they're bad or I'm bad at it, but maybe mm. I could theoretically come at it from a different perspective and say, this doesn't make sense in my brain. So if y'all looking for a rules book editor, hit me up. <laughs> <laughs> for this week's etymology segment, since we already examined the origins of the word rule back in episode nine, this week, we're going to look at a word related to breaking the rules. Cheat. Both the noun and verb forms of the word cheat came about in the late 14th or mid-15th century. Cheat was a shortening of the old French escheat, which was a legal term regarding how property would be turned over to the state when its owner dies without heirs. When I first read that, it was kind of hard to make the jump from that to where we got today, but as you continue digging into the history, it makes a little more sense. So that word was the past participle of Eschwa, meaning happen, befall, occur, take place, fall due, or lapse in the legal sense. That word stemmed from the late Latin escardere, meaning fall away or fall out. So here's where the connection comes into place. Apparently, the royal officers of old weren't always the most upstanding people. So the meaning of the word cheat and its other forms evolved over time to mean things like confiscate and to deprive unfairly. So those, all of those goods that were getting turned over to the state when someone passed away uh, were maybe getting taken a little bit on the side or when they shouldn't have been or some other things like that. So cheat's uh, meaning of a deceptive act came about in the 1640s. And in the 1660s, it was also used to refer to a swindler. So obviously, I know all of you listening to our podcast would never cheat at a game. But in case you do run into a vagabond someday who does decide to cheat at a game, you should explain to him the origins of the word cheat and why he shouldn't do it. Just a reminder, there are only a few days left to enter the contest we announced in our last episode. The contest closes at 11.59pm Pacific Time on Sunday, March 19th, so make sure to get your entries in ASAP to have the chance to win a copy of Ghost Blitz or Ghost Blitz 2! Woohoo! Yay! <laughs> and that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow, technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out all of their shows in the network by visiting DiceTowerNetwork.com. 
Have suggestions for the show or just want to say hi? Shoot us an email at boardgameblitz at gmail.com. Until next time, welcome to Blitz Club. The first rule of Blitz Club is you tell everyone about Blitz Club. The second rule of Blitz Club is, seriously, you tell everyone about Blitz Club. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye, everyone. Which is a really quick card game. And. Oh gosh, sorry. I have something in my throat. <laughs> <clears> throat> and that's it for this week's episode of Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com. Oh, oh, no, no, and never mind, it is in there. I shouldn't have stopped you. I'm sorry. I got paranoid. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got paranoid that I didn't have the it's Dice okay. Tower Network stuff in yeah, there, but I do. It's there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, start over. And that's it for this week's board game. Ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> Let's try again. <laughs> that's, that's a blooper worthy one right there. <laughs> I think we have a few bloopers. <laughs> this is the board game blitz crew making weird noises. Take a billion. <laughs> okay. Hold on, I gotta calm down now. <laughs>